Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. We're in a series we've entitled New Normal. We're looking at the book of Joshua. We're learning lessons from Joshua about what it takes not only to experience the blessing of God, and a lot of people have momentary, temporary encounters with the goodness of God, the grace of God, the blessing of God. They just don't live in the blessing of God. But there are some things you and I have to do. If we're going to live in the land of blessing, there are things we have to be a part of what God is doing and the way we live, the way we think, the way we function. God's blessing is not automatic. And God will bless anyone who seeks him. So the whole purpose of this is to say, what do we need to do? Because I don't know about you, I just want all of God's blessing that I can possibly have on my own life, on, on the personal aspects of my life, my marriage, my family, my kids, my grandkids, on the church. And God is delighted to do that. He delights in doing good. I don't know what you've heard about God. I don't know what you've been taught about God. If you're new here today, if you've been at James River, you've heard me say this over and over again. Settle it in your heart that God is good. Psalm 119 in verse 68, you are good and you do good. Once you make that something that is a non-negotiable in your life and your understanding of God, it will open your heart and mind to God's working in a whole new way. Because rather than believing you've got to convince God to do something for you, you believe God wants to do it. And that makes all the difference in the world in the way you seek God and walk with God. And so really my prayer for the church is simply that we would walk in a new awareness of his presence, a new experience of his hand upon our lives, that we would, we would see God do things just like Joshua is going to see. We're going to look at some amazing things in the coming weeks. Just like God saw, Joshua saw God do miracles he had never seen before, even under Moses. God has more for you. God has more for this church, more of his presence, more of his goodness, more of his power. As we draw close to him, he'll draw close to us. That is the backdrop. The title of the message is asking for directions, asking for directions. Life's full of decisions. All of us face decisions. It's a part of life. Which job to take, which car to buy, which person to marry, which school to go to, which house to, should we sell a house, buy a house? Should we rent here, rent there? Should we move here, move there? Their relational uh, decisions. Should Some are wondering, should you date this person? Should you date that person? Should you not date during this time? We all face decisions. And as we come to Joshua chapter 9, Joshua and the leaders of Israel faced a decision. A nation comes to them and wants to make a treaty with Israel. And Joshua and the leaders of Israel make a terrible decision. Let's look at it, Joshua chapter 9, verse 1. 
As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland, all along the coast of the Great Sea toward Lebanon, the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites heard of this. They gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. That verse is, is similar. It reminds us of what we read in Joshua chapter 5 and verse 1. Look at it. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites, who are beyond the Jordan to the west, and all the kings of the Canaanites, who are by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they'd crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. The NIV puts it this way, their hearts melted, they no longer have the courage to face the Israelites. What's the difference? Before Achan's sin, nobody wants to fight the nation of Israel. Sketcha. They've seen the power of God. They've watched that God is going before Israel. But now, after Achan sins, they're emboldened to fight. Why? Because remember when, after Achan sins, Ai, the city they're attacking, wins the first day of battle. And I think it points to a reality that all of us need to be aware of. It's a motivation to walk as close to the Lord as we possibly can. And it's simply this. Sin has built-in consequences that affect our future. Your sin may not seem like a big deal to you. In fact, even as I mention sin, some of you right now, the Holy Spirit is putting his finger on it and saying, yeah, that's what he's talking about. That relationship, that activity, whatever it is, substance abuse, whatever that sin is to you, they, the Holy Spirit puts his finger on. We have a tendency to excuse it. People have a tendency to say it's not that big a deal. People have a tendency to say, you know what, I'll ask for forgiveness later. But you can be sure of this, sin will affect your future. Because what happens is when a person tolerates sin in their life, it creates future battles they would never had to have fought if they hadn't compromised. Battles that'll be harder to win, battles that will bring some very difficult issues to a person's life. Don't think it's not a big deal. I mean, we've become in our society and in our culture too casual regarding sin. It pays to serve the Lord. In fact, I think of Proverbs chapter, or Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 22, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich. I was not saying everybody's gonna be a millionaire. I like the way the message makes life rich, makes life full, makes life good. It's, it's kind of that Hebrew idea of Chaim, you know, they, uh, that life is full, that it's wonderful, that we're talking emotional prosperity, we're talking about mental well-being, we're talking about peace, that shalom on your life. That when, when you have the blessing of the Lord, it makes your life full, it, it makes your life good, and he adds no sorrow to it. 
versus when a person says, you know what, I'm gonna compromise here, I'm gonna do what I want over here, and, and it'll, it'll be all right, I'll ask God to forgive me later. Will he forgive? Sure. God is a forgiving God. But there are consequences that are unleashed that create battles in the future you would not have had to fight. Back to Joshua chapter 9. As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan and the hill country and in the lowland along the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and the Jebusites heard of this, they gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. What's interesting, and most scholars will say this, they'll say this listing of the nations, it appears in different places in the Bible, but this listing is identical to a listing that we have in Deuteronomy chapter 20. And there God is saying, in the cities of the nations the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, do not leave anything alive that breathes completely destroy them. Then it lists out all the nations like we have in Joshua. Verse 18, we read this, otherwise they will teach you to follow all the detestable things they do in worshiping their gods, and you will sin against the Lord your God. In starting Joshua 9 with that phrase, it's as if the writer of Joshua is cueing us and telling us, listen, this is something that Joshua should have remembered. This is something that they clearly were told what God thought, which tells us something very, very interesting, I think, and is instructive for us. You can know the Word of God, and you can want to do the will of God, but if you aren't waiting on God, you can make regrettable, regrettable decisions. Sometimes people say, well, you know, God knows I love him. Well, great, I'm, he knows you love him, but that's not the same as waiting on him to get his mind, to get his input, to get his direction, to get his blessing on your circumstance. Some people say, well, you know, John, that the problem is, you know, it's easy for you to say that because you're paid to pray. It's true. I love it. I can't believe it. I'm so happy about it. But the issue is this. You don't have time not to pray. For any of us. It's much more effective to pray first and avoid the problem. I believe in preventative prayer. That there's a lot of things that'll never happen to us because we spent time with the Lord. I'm not saying you're never gonna have problems. I'm just saying there's a lot of problems you'll never have. When you and I seek God, God promises to go before us. It averts a lot of things. It causes us to think differently, to do differently, to have our day ordered differently. We put him first, he's gonna take care of us in a way that would not have happened otherwise. A lot of problems could have been avoided. We could save ourselves a lot of headaches, a lot of heartaches, if we would pray first. Better to pray preventatively than to have to try to pray our way out of a problem. Things could have turned out so different for Joshua and Israel. Let me give you just three things, three object lessons that can help us to not make his mistake. Number one, pray instead of letting fear guide you. The mention 
of those nations in that verse. Again, remind you of things that Joshua knew and that Israel knew. When you have all of those nations listed in Deuteronomy chapter seven, when the Lord your God brings you into the land you're entering to possess and drives out before you many nations, the Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, watch this, seven nations larger and stronger than you. So this chapter starts, and what you have is you have Israel coming off a victory that was in some ways initiated by a defeat. And Joshua, he knows what's ahead as they're entering Canaan. He, 40 years earlier, along with 11 others, spied out the land. He and Caleb came back and said, it's a great land and we can take it. 10 others said, it's a great land and there's absolutely no way. They're bigger, they're stronger, there's no way. There are giants in the land. They've got fortified cities. They're, any one of the seven is bigger than we are. And so now, as Joshua comes in to this time in his life, it's very possible that he and the leaders of Israel are feeling a bit more vulnerable because if a little town like Ai can put up a fight and defeat them on a single day, there's cities way bigger than Ai. There's armies way better than Ai. So Joshua is feeling vulnerable. He's feeling outnumbered. And so here they are in a place where, where very likely their confidence is shaken. And all of a sudden, when a nation shows up and says, We'd love to be your ally. That sounds very, very attractive. It sounds very, very safe. And if I can just say it, there's some today, and, and you're looking at your, your life, and, and maybe you had stepped out, and you were walking by faith, and you were believing God, and you were trusting, but things happened, and somewhere along the line, you had a setback. Things didn't work out like you thought. You got hurt, there, there was a battle, and you feel like you lost that battle. And it's shaken you up a little bit. And it's diminished your ability to believe that God will give you victory in other areas of your life. And so you're gonna, you're gonna play it just a little bit more carefully. I'm not saying you're not gonna pray, but you're gonna say, you know what? I'm going to pray, but I'm going to work a little harder. And what's happened is you're trusting yourself more as you're trusting God less. You say, I'm going to pray, but I'm going to, I'm going to take care of business over here. Listen, it's like John Bunyan said, you can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you can't do more than pray until you've prayed. That there has to be, and in that praying, a praying with faith that doesn't give in to the fear that makes our problems bigger than our God. Because the longer we obsess on a problem, the bigger it gets. And when our problems get big, our God gets small. Always better to magnify the Lord, to make him big. Always make God bigger than your problems. And prayer has a way of doing that. 
instead of letting fear guide us. Second, I want you to notice this. Pray instead of moving too fast. Look at it in Joshua chapter 9, verse 3. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai. So Gibeon's about seven miles northwest of the city of Jerusalem. Uh, the town still stands today. They are Hivites in that list of the different nations. They, on their part, acted with cunning and went and made ready provisions and took worn out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins worn out, torn and mended with worn out patched sandals on their feet and worn out clothes and all their provisions were only dry and crumbly. So they were all, uh, they looked very old. And they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, we've come from a distant country. So now make a covenant with us. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, perhaps you live among us, then how can we make a covenant with you? And they said to Joshua, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you and where do you come from? The idea in the original is, as you're passing by, where did you come from and where are you going? And they said to him, from a very distant country, your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God, for we have heard a report of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion, the king of Heshbon, and to Og, king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth. Notice they don't bring up, and we heard what you did to Jericho, and we saw what you did to Ai. They're not bringing up recent news. They are playing them like a fiddle. So our elders and the inhabitants of our country said to us, take provisions in your hand for the journey and go meet them and say to them, we are your servants, come now, make a covenant with us. The Gibeonites come to Joshua and Israel and here's what they say, we have read about you, you are famous. We, we saw the write up in the New York Times about what you did. We, you know, actually, we've been following you on Instagram, and wow, it is really amazing how, how God is going before you. And they're playing them and fooling them. Watch verse 12, look at it. Here's our bread, it was still warm when we took it from our houses. These wineskins were new when we filled them, behold, they burst. These garments and sandals of ours are worn out from the very long journey. Notice what Joshua did. Joshua said to them, who are you and where do you come from? They want a treaty, they want a covenant, and Joshua's only asking two questions. That's ridiculous. We like to have a lifelong treaty and covenant, which incidentally is gonna affect Israel for centuries. And Joshua is saying, well, I just need to know two things. Who are you? And where'd you come from? He didn't investigate. He didn't stop to think it over. It looked very obvious to him. It looked like, well, you know, it is what it is. He judges by appearances. Look at it in verse 14. So the men took some of their provisions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore to them. Listen, be careful about making quick decisions. Be careful about making a decision on an issue or on an area of your life when you don't have all the information. 
Some of you today are getting ready to make a decision. God has brought you here today to tell you, whoa, stop, slow down. You don't have enough information. Wait, you're going to make a mistake. Often, there's more to a decision than meets the eye. If it's at all possible, take time to research the matter, to get some wise, godly counsel, to ask some other people, to investigate, to look at it. Proverbs chapter 14 says this, only simpletons believe everything they're told. It's foolish to say, well, they said it. Well, I know they said it, but what was their motive? How, did, how does this play? Is it true what they said? Just because they said it doesn't mean it's true. The prudent carefully consider their steps. Be careful about making a quick decision. Let me, let me give you a, a piece of advice. If someone is pushing you to make a quick decision, almost always, it is for their benefit, not yours. If somebody's like, you got to do this now, limited time, don't miss out on this. I'm doing this for you. And man, I can't do it for everybody, but I'm doing it for you. But only if you do it, you need to say, this is bogus. This is not real. This is not good. Wait, stop, pause, but especially pray. Pray rather than making quick decisions. Number three, pray instead of assuming you know. Joshua 9 verse 14, so the men took some of their provisions but did not ask counsel from the Lord. Not one time did they stop and say, God, these people have come to us. All he has to do, if, if you look in, it's in, um, I think it's in Leviticus, um, that all Joshua has to do is Joshua, or it's, it's in Deuteronomy, excuse me, all Joshua has to do is if he has a question, go to the high priest. They've got the umum it mentions, which is a means of discerning the will of the Lord. Just ask him, he'll, he'll go to the Lord. The Lord will tell you exactly what to do. Are these people legit? No, that's all he had to do. I want you to think about this. Anytime Joshua prays, it's amazing. When he prays, Jesus appears and says, let me give you a really wild way of taking the city. You're going to love this. It's going to be hard for you to believe, but it's going to be amazing. And for all human history, people will be saying, that's crazy. Joshua is going to pray next week, and he's going to say, son, stand still. It's going to happen. Joshua doesn't pray. And 36 Israelites are dead. Lord, how should I take this city? I know it looks easy, but I don't, I don't want to assume I can do anything without your help. Lord, I'm dependent upon you. I'm seeking you. You show me, and I just want to do your will. Please let me know. If he prays, AI is captured in a day. If he doesn't pray, sin stops everything. If he prays, there's no treaty with the Gibeonites. He doesn't pray, he makes a massive mistake. You can almost hear the leader saying, well, I think we ought to go with our gut on this one. And you wanna say, what in the world? You can pray, you can ask God, you've got the high priest there. 
You can go to the Lord. When you're facing a decision, pray. I mean, James chapter five, the, the scripture's full of it. If, you, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. If you need wisdom, he's gonna give you a generous amount. He's not gonna give you a dab, will do you. He's gonna unload the truck. In fact, when you're praying for wisdom for this thing, he's probably gonna give you wisdom for a hundred other things you didn't know you ought to be praying for. The NIV, or the message says, if you don't know what you're doing, pray to the Father, he loves to help. You'll, you'll get his help. Listen, you'll only get God's help if you pray. Now, is there a common grace? Yeah, that causes the terrain on the, on the just and the unjust. Is there a sense where you're a child of God and God watches over you? Absolutely, that is true. But if you could have more, why in the world would you not want it? You say, well, I love God. Great, that's an awesome thing. But listen, Jesus didn't say, you know, if you love God, you'll receive. No, what he said is, ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. If you want to receive from the Lord, you've got to pray. You've got to seek his face. Before you make a decision, pray. Let me, add, let me add one other thing to this whole matrix of how you want to consider prayer. If you don't feel peace, run. I don't care if you've, you've talked to the godliest brain trust that you can have around you. If in your heart you don't feel peace, don't do it. Because they're human and they can pray, but nobody can make some decisions for you. You need, to, you need to go before the Lord, and if there's not a peace, then what you have to assume is you have to say, assume God is saying, pause, stop, or don't do it! Peace is the umpire when it comes to the will of God. You want to know what the will of God is? Where do you feel perfect peace? Don't feel peace, don't do it. So it's really important that we pray, that we, that we wait on the Lord. Joshua chapter 9, verse 16, at the end of three days after they'd made a covenant with them, then they heard that they were their neighbors and that they lived among them. I mean, have you ever been, have you ever been conned by somebody? Like they, they told you, you know, you ought to buy this and it'll do that, or, or you ought to do this, and, or this investment, or this thing, or that thing, only to find out it wasn't that way. Or maybe have you ever made a decision, and at the time, you, you, you maybe were feeling like a little bit of lack of peace, but you made it anyway because you wanted to. Because it, it seemed like a, a good idea to you at that time only to find out it was a terrible decision. I mean, whenever, you know, I'm driving south on Campbell and, you, you know, you come across the James River Freeway and you go up and it kind of goes up by Plainview, a slope there. I, I think back every now and then to when Debbie and I were first married and we were pastoring out in western Kansas and, and we had a little Honda Accord hatchback and we had David and Brandon was on the way and you could see the car was getting tight. We were going to need you to put car seats in. There's hardly any room for anything, so we we're going to need to trade cars. So we were in town visiting some friends and, and I thought, you know, uh, I said to Debbie, we ought to, we ought to trade cars. And, 
And she wasn't super excited about it and, you know, was a little bit like, eh. And I was like, listen, you take care of the babies, I'll trade the cars, okay? You know, I mean, you know, hey, I've, I've grown up since then. <laughs> so anyway, we go over and, and we, we look at a car and, and um, so we decide we're going to test drive it. So it's a 1985 Olds Cutlass, the four-door. And so we get out on the road and we go south of town and we're driving it. And we get, we get to the top of that hill and it stops. It's a brand new car, it stops, it quits. So, you know, when we're starting to get out of the car, Debbie's like, I think the Lord's trying to tell us something. <laughs> Guys, don't you hate that? I mean, when, you know, the Holy Spirit sounds a lot like your wife, you know, and, and it's something. <laughs> So, anyway, I was like, well, I don't, I mean, I think he's trying to tell us don't buy this car. I mean, you know, but that's not, that doesn't have anything to do with buying a car. I said, I don't know. I think the Lord's telling us to wait. And I said, well, maybe, you know, and I was, I was just, I wasn't having it. So we go back to the dealership and I'm like, don't want that car, but you got another one like it. <laughs> we buy that car. Six months later, that car is named Consumer Reports Lemon of the Year. In our first six months of owning that car, we put on uh, three or four water pumps, two fuel pumps, crankshaft pulley, uh, new suspension on the front, the tires, the belts broke up because of the way the suspension was. I mean, that car was a disaster. I've since learned something. If Debbie's not in, we're not doing it. You know, if, if, if she and I aren't together on that, we're not doing it. I would just say to husbands and wives, listen, you need to, you need to understand God gives you one another to weigh out and discern the will of the Lord for your life. And you err if one of you wants to do something the other one doesn't want to do. You're both walking with the Lord and, and you're not together on it. Don't do it. Wait until the Lord brings your hearts together. You, you say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm single. How's that work for me? I would say this. It's good for you to be in relationship with godly people with whom you can share the situation. You can pray about it so you can have some kind of assistance in discerning the will of the Lord. I mean, we can make a decision only to find out it was the wrong decision. That's Joshua. Look at this in verse 17. And the people of Israel set out and reached their cities on the third day. Now, their cities were Gibeon, Kephra, Beroth, kiriath Jerem. But the people of Israel did not attack them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. Then all the congregation murmured against the leaders, but all the Israel, the leaders said to all the congregation, we have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we may not touch them. So there's nothing they can do. The situation could not be reversed. This is the thing to think about and a motivation to pray. There are some decisions that when you make, you're never gonna be able to reverse it. You just have to, you have to, especially if there's a decision that you're entering into, you say, well, if they lie, then I, I can say, well, you lied, so nope, not so fast. 
That's not how God viewed it. You see, once you give somebody your word, you say, but they lied. They were tricking them. God says, you have to keep your word. Listen, remember what it says. I don't have it on the screen, but the Psalms in Psalm 15 says, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in his presence? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, down as it lists these different qualifications, he who keeps his oath even when it hurts. A lot of times we make decisions and maybe somebody wasn't honest, maybe somebody didn't tell us all there was, but now we're in a situation where we've given our word and in that moment, we've got to honor God. That's where they are. They cannot get out of it Verse 22, look what Joshua says. Then Joshua summoned them and he said to them, why did you deceive us? Saying, we are very far from you when you dwell among us. It's almost like, that's not fair. You know, our human nature is when we make a bad decision. Who made the decision? He did. Whose fault was it? His. Doesn't matter if it wasn't fair. Doesn't matter if he was deceived. He didn't pray. But this question, why did you deceive us, is absolutely the wrong question for a leader to ask. He should have been asking, why was I deceived? That's the issue. And the answer is, he was deceived because he thought he knew. It seemed like an easy decision. Seemed like, seemed like a good decision. Israel could use allies. It was so obvious. He didn't think he needed to pray. And there are some here today who are in the middle of a decision-making process and it just seems so obvious, you don't think you need to pray. You may go ahead and make that decision after prayer, but you may pray and God may say, don't do it. And you may say, that doesn't make sense. And you may say, you know, God, I really want to. And you will do it to your own peril. Or you will say, you know what? I've, I've listened, I've heard the word of God, I'm praying, I don't have a peace, I really like to do it, but in obedience to the Lord and trusting he knows more than I know and sees what I can't see, I'm gonna honor him. And in about three months, you're gonna be saying, praise God, you'll be filling out the prayer card saying, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Listen. Joshua made a massive mistake. Don't assume you know. Don't think if it's obvious physically to your sight, to your ears, to your mind, it's the right choice. I'm just saying for all of us, and some of you aren't facing a decision today, but you're going to this week, I believe the Word of God has been set with that kind of purpose every single week that if it's not right now and it doesn't apply today, try tomorrow. But you know, some people are gonna make a bad decision and the reason why it comes down to one thing, you trust yourself more than you trust God. You say, well, no, it's just really what I want. Well, it's because you want it and you think you know what will bring you more happiness than God. You think you know what's gonna be better for you than God. I'm just saying, that's a dangerous place to be. And you're gonna find yourself making decisions, some of which you cannot undo, 
and you're gonna find yourself fighting battles you never would have had to fight. And you're gonna find yourself emboldening things, circumstances against you in a way they never would have had to if only you would have sought God. Instead of trusting in yourself, let me leave you with this. Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. That's the problem, isn't it? Well, I don't understand because this really, listen, my understanding, your understanding is human understanding. It sees from a limited perspective. Lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him. All. Did you see that? All. People get hung up and they say, well, you know, I don't think it's that big a deal. Well, you know what? Everything's, everything counts. If I want God to bless everything, I take everything to him. If I want his input in every aspect of my life, I talk to him about the aspects of my life. And he shall direct your paths.